0: The reading is on page 1018 of the Church Bible, and it's Mark chapter 12, reading from verse 28 to 34. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. No one dared ask him any more questions.
1: Wonderful. Thank you. So do uh, keep that bit of the Bible open in front of you, and I'm going to pray for us as we come to focus our attention on it. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much that the Lord Jesus has come and that he has spoken and that he's told us clearly what it's all about. So we pray you would help us to listen and that you would help us to respond to you with lives of love in Jesus name amen life is quite complicated isn't it sometimes you just want somebody to give you the gist just give me the the reader's digest abridged version you know whether whether it's you're your reading you're learning a new board game you know sometimes you get a new board game and the rule book is sort of longer than a Russian novel, and you think, how on earth am I going to learn how to play this game? Just give me the gist. What do I have to do in this game? How do I win? How do I get to the end of this game? In the 90s, we had all those popular dummies books. Do you remember those? Kind of Computer programming for dummies, bread making for dummies, brain surgery for dummies, sort of distilling everything down so that a normal person can get it. If only somebody would give us right and wrong for dummies... Just in simple terms, what does it mean to be good? There are so many ideas out there. The Bible, if we're even going to start looking at what the Bible says, that is full of guidance, full of truth. But again, it's quite a long book. How are we supposed to know how to live? Just give us the gist of what we're supposed to do. That's the question that Jesus is asked in the passage that we just read. He's asked what is the most important command? What is the most important command? See that in verse 28? Of all the commandments, which is the most important? I wonder how you would answer that just off the top of your head. Uh, Do not murder seems pretty important. It's been said actually telling the truth. That's the foundation that society is built on. If if people don't tell the truth, you can't really do anything as a society. So maybe we should say, do not lie is the most important commandment. Before we get to Jesus' answer, let's explore that question a bit. What is the most important command? Jesus has been facing all sorts of questions uh, recently. So in chapter 11, you might remember, he's arrived in Jerusalem with lots of fanfare, and immediately, as soon as he gets there, he starts criticising what he sees. He starts criticising what he finds in the temple, the religious leaders. He starts putting people's backs up. And so, one after another, these leaders start interrogating him to try and trip him up with question after question after question. But not everybody is hostile. At least one of the leaders, one of the teachers of the law, is quite impressed So in verse 28, it says that this guy came and heard them debating. That's the stuff we looked at last week. He's listening in on that, and it says he's noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. So he's been listening to what we heard last week, and he thinks Jesus is handling himself really well. The last set of questioners were the liberal Sadducees. This chap is a teacher of the law. He's more likely to be a Pharisee. He's a religious conservative. So he probably would have liked the way that last week, if we saw, Jesus really emphasised needing to know the Scriptures and taking that seriously. So he thinks, yeah, that's, that's great. I like this guy. I'm going to ask you a question of my own. Since you think the Bible's so important, Jesus, what's the most important command? What's the big bit? What's the gist? That would have been a huge question for someone who says, I am a teacher of the law. We tend to think, How many laws are there? 10. There's 10 commandments. There were over 600 commandments. I think 613 is where they got to, adding them all up and working out which ones were slightly different from other ones. 613 different commands. A little bit of help prioritising wouldn't go amiss. And not just a question for professional scholars, for everybody. How on earth are we supposed to understand these things? What is the gist of it? What's the heart of it? With so many laws, what's the worst one to break? What's the most important one to keep? Which one requires a bigger sacrifice to deal with and forgive? This is a question rabbis would have debated a lot. And I suppose today we might not be thinking of it in the same terms, but we might still be saying, what are the minimum entry requirements for heaven? What is is the, the gist of it? If I do that, I'm on target. It's common, isn't it, for people to say, well, good people go to heaven. That's what lots of people think. Often people who don't actually know what Christians really think. But good people go to heaven. And you think, well, what does good mean? How good do you have to be? Uh, Lib and I this week watched the, the BBC drama series about Jimmy Savile this week. I don't know if anybody else has, has watched that. It's quite unnerving, uncomfortable Looming over the whole series is this idea that he was weighing up in his mind whether what he did, all the good that he did, Jimmy Savile raised over 40 million pounds for charity. He's weighing up in his mind whether all of that good cancelled out all the evil that he did. And the, the series is called The Reckoning because it's this idea of going, is it going to, in the final balance when we settle up accounts, is all the good going to cancel out all the bad? Can we say, well, no, he did that one bad thing, so he's out. He did more than one bad thing, but he did that, and so that doesn't matter what he did. How does it work? Do we need to just have more good than bad? Are there more important commands so we don't waste our time on little things? If there was just one big thing we could do, that would sort it all out. This question the teacher asks Jesus is much bigger than it first seems. It's a problem that, that everybody faces. It's the fact that God's standard is so high. And so he's saying, please, Jesus, simplify it for us. Make it doable. What's the most important command. And what Jesus answers him with is amazing. I think it's so familiar that we perhaps don't really realize how amazing it is. He doesn't say, well, I can't do that. They're all just as important as each other. He does give him a a top command. And what he says that is, is love God, love people. Love God, love people. Let's read verse 29 to 31. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. What's the gist of it? Well, the gist of it is love God love people now as 21st century people we hear that and say oh lovely I like love that's really nice oh thank you Jesus that's great I could do that that's brilliant but that's not how they responded then is it have a look at the end of verse 34 for how they hear this whole exchange it says from then on no one dared ask him any more questions They wouldn't dare to ask him anything, because his answer is frightening. His answer is so wise, they know, I'm never going to outsmart this person. We're just going to give up trying to do this. And it is so intense an answer that it frightens them. Love God. Love people. That certainly makes God's law simpler to understand, doesn't it? You can memorize that. I don't think we're going to have much, job, uh, much of a job memorizing 613 commands, but I can remember that. love God, love people. That's much simpler to understand. But it's no simpler to do, is it? It's quite the opposite. While it's all still complicated, we can kid ourselves, we're doing OK, I'm probably doing all right. got no one can possibly keep all of them, but I'm probably doing all right. But when it gets stripped back to the essentials of loving God, loving people, we very quickly see I don't do that. Not like I should. Because it isn't just about doing or not doing or ticking certain boxes or, or going to certain places and doing certain things. This is about our hearts. It's about what motivates us, about what we love. I wonder what you love. We can tell what we love, by what preoccupies us? Where do our minds wander? What do we talk about, think about, give our time to? What do we instinctively go towards and give us a real lift and a boost? And yes, that's what I really, really love. That's what really gets me going, gets me up in the morning. Is that the Lord for us? Jesus begins his answer to the question by reciting the Shema, which is a prayer prayed by faithful Jews every morning and evening. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. Uh, they would have just known it off by heart. So you would wake up in the morning and pray the Shema. And so Shema just means hear or listen, because that's the first word of it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So, the, the most important command starts with some theology, doesn't it? It starts with some truth about God. It doesn't just jump in and go do this. It starts by going, well, let's talk about God for a minute. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. He is one. He is the only one. So in verse 33, the bloke paraphrases it by saying God is one and there is no other but him. We aren't called to love any old God we choose, or gods in general, or just just love, and I suppose that's sort of loving God, isn't it? No, we're told to love the one true God, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of the Bible, he alone is uniquely and exclusively God. He is one and so we should love him uniquely and exclusively. The call of the Shema is to hear, listen, pay attention and respond in love. To love God completely, not half-heartedly but with all of our hearts. And that's more than emotions, that is our desires, that is our will, that is the choice that we make to put love into action we're to love him with all of our soul who we are at the deepest level with all of our mind with its thoughts and ideas with all of our strength of course that involves physical strength our energy but strength here is actually just whatever we've got lots of love him with all of your very with all of your muchness So if what we've got a lot of is physical strength, then love him with that. If it's money or talents or time or anything, whatever it is we have a lot of, love him with that, with everything we have, everything we are, everything we do, everything we think and feel and want is supposed to be utterly devoted to the Lord our God. Now that is challenging, isn't it? Because if love doesn't actually mean anything then it can be all fluffy and vague and you go, oh, just love, oh, that's great. But when we see, oh, no, love is meant to be like this, it's heart, soul, mind, strength, all of it. There is no bit that we can hold back. Then a love like that would change everything, wouldn't it? It would impact every single moment, every single detail. And not in a horrible, strict Um, kind of oppressive way as if Jesus says the main thing is shut up and do as you're told with all your heart and with all your mind soul strength that's not what he's saying here the language here is of a passionate all-consuming love in every bit of our life real love will change our life won't it in the fourth century Augustine put it like this love God And do what you want. Love God and do what you want. He's not saying, as long as you love God, it doesn't matter what you do. He's saying, when you love God, what you want will change. Love God and do these new things that you now want to do. That is an insight that Jesus has given us. That it's love that is the motivator for all of our obedience. But we're not supposed to be monks, kind of cut off from the world. This is just focusing on this vertical relationship of love, just me and God gazing into each other's eyes. It's not like that. Uh, There's a horizontal aspect to it. because God is telling us to express our love for him through love for others. We're told to love God and love people. Love for God is the greatest commandment, but love for people is so tied to it that Jesus can't separate it. He's kind of saying, give us our number one. I will give you a number one. I'm going to give you a number two as well because I can't leave that out. (laughs) He says he gives the command of first importance, and then in verse 31 he says, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. The two go together. We can't say that we love God while hating people. We can't say that we love people while hating God. It's tempting to try and make it about just one of those things. I am very nice to people, no time for God. Well, then that's that's not what it's after. Or we make our Christian life, my Christian life, about my quiet times, how I feel about God, all is well because I love God and God loves me and I don't have any time for church family on a deep level got no energy for serving anybody else, got no urgency in evangelism because I don't love people, got no room for generosity, it's just me and God in a little bubble. And Jesus pops that bubble and says, well, if you want to love God, go and love them over there. Go and love those people, and not just one or two people you already like or already live with, go and love your neighbor, that is anyone you come across. And go and love them as yourself, meaning give them all the care that we instinctively give to ourselves. Treat them well. Treat them the way you would want them to treat you. That's radical, isn't it? Completely dying to ourself, putting to death our selfishness, our me focus. Modern people, we think, love your neighbor, that sounds really nice until we actually meet our neighbor. And you go, I've I've got to love them. Can't I just love them? Do I have to love them as well? How do I do that? How do I do that? Not just why should I, but what do I actually do? How could I even know what would be loving them and what is not loving? Well, God has told us in his word, in his law, so in Leviticus 19, there are all kinds of rules. Leviticus 19 is one of those ones that, that gives a fair chunk of the 613 in just that chapter. Uh, we get all sorts of rules about respecting your parents, about feeding the poor, about caring for the disabled, about not showing favoritism, not endangering someone's life. Don't just don't kill them, but don't endanger their life. And all of these laws are interspersed with, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. And then in the middle of these things, in verse 18, it says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And then he gives some more commands. He gives more commands, more commands. That's the bit Jesus quotes. So when he says he prioritizes love, he isn't getting rid of any kind of rules of any sort. The rules are what love looks like. Tim Keller put it this way, love defines what it means to act lawfully and the law defines what it means to act lovingly. Let me say that again. (laughs) Love defines what it means to act lawfully and law defines what it means to act lovingly. So how do I love someone? Do not murder them. Do not lie. Do not commit adultery. We might think to ourselves, well, sometimes it's loving to lie. No, it's not. If it was, we wouldn't have been told, don't lie. Love is what the law is driving at. Do not steal is about love. Love someone enough not to take their things. Love someone enough, in fact, more than that. you, You can't say we've obeyed do not steal by just not stealing. It's about loving. So do the opposite of that. Be generous is how we do not steal now we know that's true you know don't you if you meet somebody who technically keeps all the rules and is horrible that they aren't really doing it we know that don't we we know that 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 the person who says i keep all the laws i am a harsh person though i'm very very harsh well then you're not keeping the rules Love is the motivator, love is the aim of all of God's commands. It's funny how much the law gets such a bad rap, as if if you have anything to do with it, it will make you harsh, it will make you a nasty stickler who is always policing other people's behaviour, but really, if we obeyed the law of love, we would be so kind, we would be so warm and open and content and dependable. Unless we love God, we won't love people, right? And unless we love people, we're not loving God the way he tells us to. Love God. Love people. Can you see why Jesus' answer here is such a cutting reply to the question? Just think of the alternative. Imagine if he says, funnily enough, the most important command is do not covet your neighbor's ox. I know, that surprised me as well. But that's the most important one. That's the big one. That sort of thing is probably what the man wanted him to say. You just give me one law, I can focus on that, ignore all the other ones. But that's much too narrow, isn't it? You can't live your life by that principle. My guiding principle is I will not covet my neighbor's ox. Most of our life is going to be untouched. But by telling us to love, well, then not coveting is included in that, isn't it? Alternatively, Jesus could have not been narrow. He could have been too broad. And if he'd said, imagine the most important command is Leviticus 19, verse 37, keep all of my decrees and all of my laws and follow them. That would be just as all-encompassing, wouldn't it, as what he did say. But it wouldn't touch our hearts. It wouldn't touch our character. It would just be, the main thing is just get on and do it. It wouldn't be about love. Whereas love God love people that is a perfect summary and if we could just do those two things we would be doing all the others wouldn't we let's just take a moment how are we doing (laughs) at those two things that's maybe something for us to reflect on later love god do i do i love god Do I love God with all my heart and soul and mind and strength? Or are there things I am holding back? Are there areas of my life where it does certainly not look like I love God? And loving people, are we loving people? If we looked through our lives, would we actually say, yeah, no, you can see that I don't just feel something. Sometimes I don't even feel something. But I am actually loving in practice. And I'm loving like I love myself. I'm not just sort of going, well, I've got to make sure I love myself first and if I've got anything left over. (laughs) No, I I love other people. If we are honest and we reflect on that, we will all be able to pretty quickly find ways in which we're not. But it is a help, isn't it, to know, okay, that's what we're aiming for. (laughs) That's what we're aiming for. The teacher of the law who posed the question thinks that Jesus has given a really good answer. He says, well said, teacher, the man replied. He agrees with Jesus. Yes, love is the gist of it. And Jesus responds to him in verse 34, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And that's our final thought this morning, not far from the kingdom. Not far. On first glance, this looks like the whole thing is such a positive encounter, doesn't it? They appreciate one another. So in verse 28, the man noticed Jesus had given a good answer. Because of that, he asks his own question. And it's a genuine question for a change. He's not trying to trap him or trip him up. Then verse 32, Jesus has given an answer and the man says, you're right, well said. And then Jesus returns the compliment. says, verse 34, Jesus saw he had answered wisely. There's so much agreement here, isn't it? There's so much agreement. He's not like the other religious people who are miles away from God's kingdom. He is not far at all. Let's read his response again from verse 32. "'Well said, teacher,' the man replies. "'You're right in saying that God is one, and there is no other but him. "'To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, "'and to love your neighbour as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices.'" See, this man agrees with Jesus' theology. He agrees with Jesus' priorities. He says, absolutely, Jesus. Love God, love people. That makes complete sense. Thank you. And so Jesus says to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. But that's a bit of a two-edged sword, isn't it? Not far. Not far. It means not bad. But it also means not there. Close, but no cigar. If you imagine two runners in a marathon, one of them stops 10 centimetres from the finish line, the other person never left the start. Which one is not far from the end? The first one. Which one of them finished the race? Neither of them. Not far is not far enough. So why not? This man agrees with Jesus, Jesus agrees with him, what is the problem? I think part of the problem is that it is one thing to know that you are supposed to love God and people completely. It's quite another thing to do it, isn't it? Everybody in this room now knows the greatest command if we didn't before. Has that changed your life yet? Do we actually obey it? Do we love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, mind, strength? Do we love our neighbour as ourselves? At the end of verse 33, the man makes a little comment. He says that love is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, that's absolutely right, isn't it? Love is much more central than the outward ceremonies. The people in the temple were doing all the outward ceremonies, and Jesus comes in and says, it's all rubbish, stop it. This is rubbish, I need to shut it down. Because they weren't doing it out of actual love. So that shows us, doesn't it, God is not after sacrifices in and of themselves. What he wants is our hearts. He wants us to live lives of love. If you've got a friend, they do something hurtful to you, you want them to apologize, you want them to do whatever it takes to get that relationship fixed. But you would rather they hadn't done it in the first place, wouldn't you? And in the same way, God would rather we were loving than we did all the ceremonies to fix it. But we're not loving, and that needs to be dealt with. The Lord didn't ask for sacrifices because he loves sacrifices. He did it because he loves us. He wanted to make a way for us to be forgiven. So we are part way there if we're realizing, yeah, love is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Love is more important than all that outward stuff. But it doesn't get us off the hook because we don't love like we ought to. And so we still need a sacrifice. We need something to deal with our sin. We need the punishment for all of our lack of love to fall on a sacrifice instead of on us. That was what the temple was for, for that to happen. But if we've been following this series so far, there's another problem. Jesus is there In Sacrifice City, he is in the Jerusalem temple, the place to get right with God, and he's just written the whole thing off as unfit for service. God comes to his own temple and shuts it down. What are we supposed to do? We need to love. We don't. We need a sacrifice. Can't use the temple. What are we going to do? The man listens to Jesus and goes, yeah, you're absolutely right. This place isn't fit for purpose. Love is what should be doing Okay, now what? (laughs) What we need is a new temple. We need a new sacrifice. We need a new offering. And that is what Jesus came to be. He came to love perfectly, to utterly fulfill this law of love. He is the only human being who has ever completely loved God with his whole heart and soul and mind and strength. He is the only person who has ever truly loved other people like himself, always And yet he was sacrificed. He was offered up on the cross in the ultimate act of love, the ultimate act of obedience. It is only Jesus' love that can deal with our sin. So the teacher of the law, he agrees with Jesus about the problem, but he hasn't yet come to the solution. He's not far from the kingdom, but he needs to enter the kingdom by acknowledging the king. He still doesn't see who Jesus is. He calls him teacher still. And he says, that yeah, you're right, teacher. But as as Jason Meyer puts it, it is not enough to call Jesus right. One must call him Lord. And actually, the next little encounter in Mark's gospel is Jesus drilling that home. There is a Lord that we need to follow, and it's him. We need to trust him. We need to follow him not just keep rules. We should love the Lord Jesus with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. We should love our neighbour like he does. Now I wonder what the man made of that parting shot. You're not far, not far from the kingdom of God. It probably gave him food for thought. I think that's what Jesus is trying to do. He doesn't just lay it out on a plate for him and say, here's what you need to do next. He sort of gets him so far and goes, yeah, nearly. What do you mean nearly? Nearly. What do you mean nearly? He's going to spend the rest of the day scratching his head going, what do I need to do now? Gave him food for thought. He's not far from the kingdom. I would rather be not far than really far, wouldn't you? But I'd rather be in. (laughs) I wonder about us. Are we in? Are we miles away? Are we not far? That depends not on how loving we are, but on whether we recognize Jesus. We are still miles away If we are thinking, give me the gist and I'll be able to do it myself. Or give me a ceremony to do, give me some outward stuff to do and I'll be fine. But as we get nearer, we see that Jesus isn't just calling for the gist. He's not just calling for the gist of our lives. He's calling for all of us given in love. So it might be that we're not far from the kingdom if we are starting to agree. Yeah, love is the big thing. We might be not far if we're starting to realise, I'm very far from loving like that. We might be not far if we're wondering, I wonder if Jesus has the answer. If that is you and you are not far, you are so close. Keep searching, keep looking to Jesus. At the start of Mark's Gospel, Jesus lays out his store when he says, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news it's one thing for us to not be far. The good news, the kingdom of God is not far from us because the king has come to us. So we need to repent and believe, except we don't live the way we should, love the way we should, and turn to him to have all of that unlovingness forgiven and new love take over. For those of us who are believers in Jesus, love is the thing, isn't it? Let's not forget that. Love is what drew us in, isn't it? It's Jesus' compelling love for us. And far from making us chuck away all the rules and do whatever we want, isn't it love that motivates us to live for him bully The rules on their own, it's never going to do it. It's only being captivated by love that's going to transform us. So we don't just fall into loveless doing or fall away into loveless, not doing, but instead we deeply love God and other people because he's loved us. Let's take a moment to reflect and then let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for telling us what you want from us. Thank you that it is good, that it is love. But Father, we're sorry that we we don't love you like we should. We don't love other people the way we should. Please forgive us. Thank you for Jesus' love that made a way for us to come not just close, but all the way into your kingdom. So we pray that each one of us would trust in him And more and more, our lives would look like love. That we would love you with everything we are. And we would love one another, love others, like we love ourselves. Please transform us through your love. In Jesus' name, Amen.